This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. We'll begin on page 862 in the Bibles there in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke 6, 20 to 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, Louis the Fourteenth died in 1715. Very powerful king, very sizable ego. He coined the phrase, I am the state. He left very strict instructions about what his funeral service should be like. The whole sanctuary was to be dark. The casket would be up on an elevated platform with just one candle lit behind the casket, meant to symbolize that he, King Louis, was the light of the world. History tells us the funeral service was all going according to plan until one rogue priest, not the one who was conducting the service, but one rogue priest came forward, blew out the candle, and said, only God is great. What's the greatest threat to a king? Well, it's another king who has a claim to the throne. What's the greatest threat to any kingdom? It's another kingdom coming. And the Sermon on the Plain is Jesus' announcement of another kingdom coming. Very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5 to 7, but this is a sermon a little shorter given on another occasion probably. It says on a level place where he made this teaching in Luke 6, 16. It says that. And Jesus, though, is talking about a very similar thing as the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the kingdom of God, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven in the Scriptures. And in our verses today that Jenny just read to us, Jesus is outlining the values of this new kingdom. Now, every leader, every administration, every governor, every ruler of any kind, every CEO, uh, when they come into power, they bring with them a new set of priorities, a new set of values, right? Certain things are lifted up and highly prized. Other things are sort of demoted and dropped down, have less priority. That's true in all changes of administration, but... Here it's particularly radical. Most of the changes of leadership that we see in this world, they're kind of a a reshuffling of priorities. A little more resources allocated here, change in emphasis there, but mostly it's just kind of tweaking the present system. But what Jesus is declaring is a total and complete revolution. These blessings and woes, beatitudes and maledictions reflect a complete reversal of our present world. And the challenge is for each of us to choose which kingdom do we belong to? Which set of values 
that we want to embody. And so let's take a look at the text this morning, and we're going to see Jesus teaching us about uh, the values of the old kingdom, the values of the new kingdom, and then finally we're going to see that this is a text not just about the kingdom, but it's also a text about the king. So let's take a look. All right, first, the old kingdom. Now, I just thought, experiment with me for a, more, uh, a moment. If you were trying to make a list of things that would be necessary for the good life, right? things that would make life good for you, the life that everybody wants, uh, life, the kind of life that everybody should be pursuing, what kind of things would make your list? I bet for most of us, inside or outside the church, I bet for most of us we would include things like wealth, comfort, success, fame. I mean, who wouldn't want those things, right? Wouldn't that make for a great life? Wealth, comfort, success, fame. Isn't that what we mean when we say, you know, to live our best life now and to spiritualize it a little bit? If you got those things, wouldn't you believe then that that was an indicator that you were blessed? Wouldn't that be an indicator that God is on my side, that God is for us? We have to be careful drawing that conclusion because Jesus is telling us something quite different here. He's telling us that if that's what we think of as the good life, if that's the way we measure whether God is blessing us, wealth, comfort, success, and fame, we are actually being shaped more according to the world that's passing away than by the kingdom that's coming in. Look at the woes of verses 24 to 26. These are the values of the old kingdom, but woe to you who are rich. That's wealth. Woe to you who are full. That's comfort. Woe to you who laugh now. It's actually the, the Greek word for um, someone enjoying their success. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. That's celebrity or fame. Now, it's certainly nice when those things come to us, but are those the things we ought to be seeking? Are these the things that you need in order to be happy? Are they the things that we ought to be pursuing at all costs? Are the, these things the way that we measure if God is really with us? In a social Darwinist, materialist universe, absolutely this is what you should be seeking. Right? That's a logical way to pursue life if this life is all that there is. I mean, did you notice, by the way, Jesus' emphasis on the now? Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. This whole way of life is predicated on the pursuit of pleasure now. And if this life is all there is, then it makes total and complete sense to go after life like this, right? Maximize your pleasure now. Get as much as you can now. Because there is no survival of the weak. There's no survival of the sacrificing. Of course not. If this world is all there is, power and wealth and strength of the order of the day, it is survival of the fittest. And so eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. If this is all there is, it's the most natural way to live in this world. But what if this isn't all there is? What if there's another kingdom coming? And what if that kingdom is coming soon 
to replace the present one. That's what Jesus is telling us here in Luke chapter 6. There is another kingdom, and it's coming soon to replace the old one, and it's going to endure far longer than the old one. And if that's true, then the values of that old kingdom are not a good measure of the best life. They're not an indicator of what will bring real and lasting and true joy. The old kingdom's values are not a measure of God's blessing on your life because they are temporary. One day this world will be changed and all those things will vanish. Think about wealth. Some people think that your bank account is the best way to measure your blessings. But Jesus is saying this is not an accurate indicator of righteousness or the favor of the Lord. In fact, it can actually be a disaster for you spiritually because if you spend all your time thinking about wealth, building wealth, storing up wealth, you can actually end up trusting, not in God, but in your riches to protect you and to save you to make you happy. And Jesus says, this is foolish because in the end, none of it will come with you into the next life. There's an old joke. A rich man comes before the pearly gates. He dies and he he comes before the pearly gates. St. Peter is there and he's admitting people in and Peter sees this man and he says, you can come in, but you've got to leave behind this big bag that you're dragging with you. He's hauling this big thing behind him. And the rich man says, oh, no, Peter, you don't understand. Uh, God, I'm certain, will let me bring this in because he knows how hard I've worked for this, how important this is to me. I've poured my life into this. I've got to bring this in with me. And Peter says, ooh, this is highly unusual. But I'll play along for a second. Just tell me what's in the bag. And the man empties out the bag, and it's this huge pile of gold. Peter's confused. He's like, what, pavement? Get it, streets of gold. Come on, all right. Point being, right, if there is such a thing as a new kingdom coming, and this eternal kingdom actually stretches out much longer than your span here on earth, then how foolish it is to pour your happiness into something that you can't possibly take with you. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells a story about a man who's doing really well. He's rich. He's had a great year. In fact, his biggest problem is that he doesn't have enough space to store up all of the abundance that he has. That's, that's what kind of wealth this man has accrued. And he doesn't consider giving any of it away. Instead, he just decides to keep building bigger and bigger barns. And when he does this, finally he gets to a point where he says to himself, now I've got it, right? This is what I need. I'm happy. But that very night, the man dies and Jesus says, God said to him, you fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? He's poured his whole life into this stuff, but just when he's stored it all up, he dies and discovers to his horror that he can't take it with him. Think about wealth and how temporary, or or, or comfort. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Now, it should be said that fullness in general is considered to be a blessing in the Bible. But what Jesus is saying here is that if you aim at comfort now, in other words, this is your purpose, this is your pursuit, then you're actually going to miss out 
on comfort then. You're going to miss out on eternal blessings. If your entire life is focused on comfort now, you won't have your mind on heavenly things. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, would often tell this story. He said, you know, once upon a time there was a, a duck who is flying across Europe during springtime. And along the way, the duck needs to take a little bit of a rest. It's a long migration, wrong journey, right? It's a long journey. And so he, he settles down in a barnyard where he had never seen tame ducks before. And he counters these tame ducks. And he starts to learn that they're fed every day in the barnyard. So the wild duck thinks this is a pretty good deal. And he thinks, I'll just stay for an hour and I'll eat my fill. But then in so much good food, he decides to stay for the rest of the day. And then a day turns into a week and a week turns into finally the whole summer. And then autumn comes and he hears a, a flock of wild ducks passing overhead, going the opposite direction, going back and he hears them and it's his family. And he hears the call, he flaps his wings, he rises to join them, but he's become so fat that he can't even rise above the roof of the barn. He struggled and he flailed and finally he drops back to the ground and settles in for the winter. The next spring he hears the call of the wild again. He lifts his head excitedly, but he, this time he can't even get off the ground. And eventually he grows so satisfied with his life in the barnyard that he doesn't notice the wild ducks at all. Too comfortable here. You won't even pray thy kingdom come, let alone seek first the kingdom of God. And the same thing can be said for success or for celebrity. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus says when you pursue these things, when you're driven by these things, even if you achieve them, they'll always disappoint because they're temporary, they're fading. You will only laugh now. Later you'll weep. You'll be filled now. Later you'll be empty. And listen, you know this, right? You know this. If you build your life on beauty, let's say, you know, somewhere you know, right, that eventually your beauty is going to fade. If you build your life on getting people to like you, right, on affirmation and esteem, you know, somewhere you know that eventually you're going to disappoint them or they're going to betray you or they're just going to move away or, sadly, they may die. If you build your life on achievement and power, someday you're going to fail or someday somebody's going to surpass you. Your records will be eclipsed. If that's your ultimate value, Jesus is saying your full stomach will one day turn into a cosmic emptiness. Your laughter is going to one day turn into a cosmic grief and weeping. You've banked on the wrong kingdom. You banked on one that's fading away. There's a story in the uh, Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament uh, in Daniel chapter 5 about an old kingdom on its way out. The old powers, though, they don't know it yet. And Belshazzar is the last king of the Babylonian Empire. But there's a new kingdom on the rise, and the Persian king is closing in on the city. And the Babylonians, though, they're not in touch with this reality and the reality of their danger. And so Belshazzar has an enormous party, a great feast for a thousand of his lords, it says. And they're eating, and they're 
drinking and they're having a great time, but then in the middle of this party, it's interrupted by this uh, strange, uh, they see the, the vision of fingers of a hand writing on the wall. And the message that's written is, many, many, tekel, parson. And this is the interpretation, Daniel chapter 5. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The message to the old kingdom, that handwriting on the wall is your days are numbered. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying to all those who would put their hope and their trust in the things of this world? Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who have a platform now. Your days are numbered. And when Jesus Christ showed up and he began to heal the sick and raise the dead and feed the hungry and die on a cross, that's the handwriting on the wall. For the old kingdom and for the old ways, they're numbered. They're going to pass away. And so Jesus is saying to us, if you are living for yourself, if you are spending all your money on yourself, if you're not living with the awareness that Jesus Christ really lived and really did those miracles and really did die on the cross and rise again from the dead and is really calling you to a new way of life, if you're not living in light of that, it means you're like Belshazzar, having a huge party, but your kingdom is about to crumble. The handwriting is on the wall. The days are numbered for the old kingdom. These are Jesus' woes. But let's talk about the new kingdom. Again, most times in our world, uh, what we call a revolution is really just kind of a reshuffling of the previous administration's approach, right? Not so here. Jesus really is talking about a revolution, nothing short of the complete upending of the world as we know it. In Jesus' kingdom, it's not wealth, comfort, success, and fame, just the opposite. It's weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion. Blessed are you who are poor. That's weakness. Blessed are you who are hungry now. That's sacrifice. Blessed are you who weep now. That's grief. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. That's exclusion. One of the commentators, Michael Wilcock, a British... New Testament scholar, puts it this way. He says, in the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. They will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks is desirable. God's people will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world calls valuable. You might be thinking, wait a minute, is this a kind of masochism, right? Is, geez, I'm not sure I want to sign up for this. What kind of person pursues weakness and exclusion and grief? Listen, prizing is not the same thing as seeking, right? To prize something is to realize that when these things come, it's not the end of the world. Our life is not over. It doesn't mean that God has left us or God has abandoned us. 
You see, in the present world's schema, weakness and sacrifice, grief and exclusion, these are curses to be avoided at all costs. But citizens of the new kingdom know that when you're poor or empty or weeping or persecuted, the kingdom of God is near. I mean, think about it. When are the times in your life where you really have come to learn something about yourself? When are the times in your life when you've really connected most deeply with God? When are the times in your life when you've seen Christ really break through in a meaningful way? I would bet that it's not when you're rich or when you're happy, when you're laughing, not when you're included just the opposite. It's in weakness and suffering that the kingdom of God is near. It's when we're poor when we discover that God can meet our every need. It's when we're empty that we cry out for God to fill us. It's when we're mourning that God comes and we learn that he is near to the brokenhearted. It's when we suffer for his name that we draw close in union with him and we learn more about what he's done for us. It's not so much that Christians seek these things. It's just that we, they are not things to be avoided at all costs. All is not lost if we find ourselves weak or empty or weeping or persecuted. And consider the benefits, right? If you are no longer controlled by the values of this present world, wealth and power no longer have a hold on you. They don't have control on you. You don't need them, right? If they come, fine. But if they don't, all right, fine too, it's not what drives you. And then correspondingly, weakness is not something that you avoid at all costs. Just imagine this scenario for a minute. You witness something uh, morally compromising at your work, right, in your company. And you know that if you're the whistleblower, there's a strong chance you'll lose your job. And for the sake of the story for a second here, let's, let's even go a little bit further than that. Um, it might actually alter your entire career because your boss is well-connected in the industry. This could close all kinds of doors for you, not just at this company, but in your whole field of work. What are you going to do? If wealth and power are the highest goals, well, I can tell you what you'll do, right? You'll keep your mouth shut. If weakness and loss are to be avoided at all costs, you look the other way. Or maybe even participate in the corruption. But on the other hand, if you're freed from the principles of this world, if you know that weakness and loss are not the worst things that could happen to you, then you can speak up even if it costs you because you'll know that yours is the kingdom of God. You'll know that blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. It's not just weakness. What about sacrifice or weeping or, or, or persecution? Again, if we're not controlled by power or success or celebrity, we can take a stand for what's right, right and true even if it costs us now. I can work against injustice in my neighborhood, right? Even if it, so what if I lose my reputation? So what if I lose my life, right? I have the kingdom of heaven. If I see somebody being picked on or bullied at school, I can stand up for them, right? So, so what if I'm estranged? So what if I'm the next victim? So what if I'm ostracized? I have the favor of the king upon me. If I see a need, I can give generously and try to meet it. Who cares if I miss out? the better house or the better vacation. Who cares 
if I have to sacrifice here because I know that I'll be full there. Now, who lives like this? Who lives like this? Well, you can. You have the resources right here in Jesus' sermon to live with this kind of integrity and generosity and courage. When you believe, when you really believe that there is another world coming, absolutely we can live like this. Think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7. If you follow along in our our readings and prayers, you would have come across this story just a few weeks ago, I think. And In Acts 7, Stephen is about to be stoned to death. He's about to be killed for preaching the gospel. How's he going to handle this with courage? How's he going to handle it with love? How is he going to keep anger from overtaking him for the folks who are doing these things to him? Remember, the text says that they uh, lied about him, but it says also that he was not twisted with bitterness or revenge or hate. It says Stephen had a face like an angel. His countenance was only kindness and love. How can that be? How does that happen? As he's being stoned to death, Stephen looks to heaven, and I think this is Rembrandt that you see on the screens there, and I think captures the spirit of what's happening there. Stephen looks up to heaven and he says, I see the glory of God. And I see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. He says, I see another kingdom coming, right? I realize that down here in this uh, kangaroo court, an injustice is being done to me, but before God in this other kingdom, I'm going to be vindicated. Stephen looks to heaven and he gets assurance that this is all really true. What Jesus is saying is really true. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep now, for they will laugh in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who have been hated and excluded and exiled for Jesus' sake, for great is their reward in heaven. Stephen's eyes are not on this world, but on the kingdom of God. And because of that, he's able to embody these values. And the challenge for all of us is to choose to which kingdom do you belong? Which set of values are you trying to embody? Colossians 3, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Is your face turned toward heaven like Stephen's? There's a kingdom, but even more importantly, there's a king. Jesus Christ is the king, and he rules his kingdom, not just dictating a set of values that all the, you know, all the peons like us, that we all have to do, and then the royalty can do whatever they want to do. No, just the opposite. Jesus Christ actually embodies all these values of the coming kingdom. And then that means that this teaching, this text is not just about the kingdom of God, but it's also something about the character of the king. When you look at Jesus, do you see him in his poverty? Born in a manger? In his ministry, they said he had nowhere to lay his head on the cross. You remember this? His One possession left is the clothes that he has, and they're casting lots to take the one last thing that he owns in this world, to take it away from him. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see him hungry, sacrificing, emptying himself out, Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see him weeping? Isaiah says he is a man of sorrows, much acquainted with grief. Do you see him excluded for you? Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This is a passage about the kingdom of God, but it's also a passage about the king. How can you live according to the values of this new kingdom, despite the fact that it's very likely going to cost you here. It'll be hard on you now. Well, you can do it as you realize that he has lived this way for you. This is not too much to ask because Jesus Christ has done these very things for you. You can divest yourself of wealth because you know that Jesus Christ became poor to give you a place in his eternal kingdom. You can sacrifice now because you know that Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And he has served you so well and does so still. You can move toward the pain and the hurt and the sorrow of this world because you know that Jesus has borne your griefs and sorrows as he hung on the cross. You can suffer mocking and exclusion and rejection for his name because you know a servant is not greater than his master. And he suffered those things for you. You can endure being reviled here because you know you're famous with him in the kingdom to come. The handwriting is on the wall. The days of the old kingdom are numbered. And so we should seek first the kingdom of God and draw near to your king. Let's take just a couple of moments of silent reflection here, and then we're going to pray together and come to the Lord's Supper. Let's just be quiet together for a moment. Let's pray now the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.